0: Hi, this is Dan Fleisch, and this is the podcast for the second portion of Chapter 1 of A Student's Guide to Vectors and Tensors. And in this podcast, I'm going to cover sections 1.5 and 1.6. The two topics there are non Cartesian unit vectors and basis vectors. And as I did for the previous podcast, I'm going to go over the big ideas right now of each of those sections so that you can know whether you want to listen to either or both of these, or if you want to skip them entirely, if you're okay with these major concepts. So the first section of this podcast, 1.5 Non-Cartesian Unit Vectors, starts on page 14 of the text, and it's really got about three big ideas in it. The first is that to specify a location in three-dimensional space, you need three numbers. If you have a higher dimensional space, you need more numbers, and a lower dimensional space, you need fewer numbers, but in three-dimensional space, you need three numbers. But if you think about it, those numbers only have meaning once you've defined a specific set of coordinates, and that's the second big idea that the numbers that you use to specify a location only have meaning when you've specified what the coordinate system is. And the third and final big idea of this section is that two-dimensional polar coordinates and three-dimensional cylindrical and three-dimensional spherical coordinates all have their own transformation equations to let you go back and forth between one coordinate system and another, and they all have their own unit vectors, just like the i-hat, j-hat, k-hat unit vectors of the 3D Cartesian coordinate system. The second section of this podcast, 1.6 basis vectors, has about four big ideas in it. The first big idea in this section is that any vector can be made up of component vectors called basis vectors. We've been talking about i hat, j hat, k hat, but you can pick any other three vectors to be your basis vectors if you wish, as long as those vectors don't lie in the same plane and no two of them lie along the same line. The second big idea is just that we call such vectors linearly independent. And if you've got three linearly independent vectors, you can use them as basis vectors to make up any other vector in that space. The third big idea in this section is that to make a vector into a unit vector, you simply have to divide that vector by its magnitude, and you will convert it from a non-unit to a unit vector. And the fourth big idea of this section is that when you have multiple coordinate systems the partial derivatives of the variables of one system with respect to the variables of the other relate the basis factors of the two systems Okay, those are the big ideas in these two sections now I'm gonna go back and go through concept by concept first of all for section 1.5 and then for 1.6 as I said section 1.5 begins on page 14 of the text and on page 14 this section starts off by talking about the fact that if you have a capital N dimensional space you need capital N numbers in order to specify a location in that space clearly we've been dealing with Cartesian coordinates up to now and in three-dimensional Cartesian space XYZ you need three numbers to specify a location there but of course if you're on a two-dimensional surface of a globe you'd only need two numbers we call them latitude and longitude for example on the earth's surface to specify a location but if you think about it those numbers that you use to specify a location they really only have meaning once you've defined a coordinate system that coordinate system tells you where the origin is located and in which direction you have to go for each of the coordinates to increase or decrease in value and of course you can use whichever coordinate system you want in any given space. What you'll find is that in most problems there's a coordinate system that makes it a little easier to solve the problem, which is why this section is going to talk about some alternatives to the Cartesian coordinate systems. For example, look on the bottom of page 15, figure 110, and you'll see that in a two-dimensional flat coordinate system like x, y, Cartesian shown there, you can specify a location by giving the numbers x and y. X tells you how far to the right, if it's positive, of the y axis you have to go, and y tells you how far above, if it's positive, the x axis you have to go. If I know those two numbers, I know where I am with respect to the origin. But I might just as well, instead of giving you the x and y parts, I might have given you how far in a straight line I've gone from the origin, and at what angle I've moved, say specifically from the positive x axis, in this case angle theta is that angle. So I could use x and y to tell you the location of a point, or I could use r and theta. In each case two-dimensional space, I need two numbers. But either xy or r theta are perfectly valid ways of specifying that location. Once you've defined a couple of coordinate systems like this, There are usually some pretty easy equations to get back and forth between them. We call those the transformation equations. and The first examples you'll see of that are on page 16, equations 19 and 110. First of all, if you've got x and y, it's easy to find r. This is just a version of the Pythagorean theorem. To find r, you take the square root of x squared plus y squared. It's the hypotenuse, after all. And to find theta, you simply take the arctan of y over x. But what if you're given r and theta, and you want to know x and y? Well, you can use a little geometry there, and the results are shown in equation 110. To get the x value, you simply take r and the cosine of theta. To get the y value, you take r times the sine of theta. So it's actually pretty straightforward to go back and forth between these two coordinate systems. And there's an example worked out for you, so you can see how that applies. Now, if r and theta are equally valuable to x and y in terms of specifying a location and in applying a coordinate system to a space, are there the equivalent to the i-hat, j-hat unit vectors for the polar coordinates? The answer is yes, there are. Just as the x-direction has i-hat or x-hat to show you which direction you have to move for x to increase, and it's got y-hat or j-hat to tell you which direction you have to move for y to increase so the polar coordinate system has r-hat and r-hat always points in the direction of increasing r. In other words r-hat points directly away from the origin. You can already see a difference. If you imagine a different point in the space r-hat is going to point in a different direction. Likewise let's talk about theta-hat. If x-hat shows you the direction that x is increasing and r hat shows you the direction r is increasing, so theta hat must show you the direction in which theta would be increasing. Well, What does that mean? To understand that, take a look at the b part of figure 110 on the bottom of page 15, and there I've drawn in. You see i hat and j hat just where you expect them along the x and y axes, but there's also an r hat in the radially outward direction, directly away from the origin, and now imagine this if you were to hold R constant, so you're staying at the same distance from the origin, and allow theta to increase, which direction would you be going? I think you can see that at the point shown in figure 110b you would be going up and to the left, where theta hat is drawn there. Because if you're holding R the same distance from the origin and you're increasing theta, you say, well yeah, then I'm going in a circle. Right, but at the instant you're right there at that point, you're moving up and to the left. And if we had gone over a little farther to where we were on the y-axis, theta hat would point directly to the left. So just like we said about r hat, that it doesn't seem to always point in the same direction, neither does theta hat. These two are perfectly valid unit vectors, but you have to understand they don't point in the same direction if you move around the space. So, r hat always points in the direction of increasing r, theta hat always points in the direction of increasing theta, You should be able to figure out where they point, but don't make the mistake of thinking that they're constant, like the i-hat, j-hat unit vectors are. As a matter of fact, if you want to know what direction r-hat is, there's an equation for that, and there's one for theta-hat. Take a look on the bottom of page 16, equation 111. There it says r-hat is cosine theta i-hat plus sine theta j-hat. In other words, the theta value you're at, where you are in theta, determines what direction your r hat points. Likewise, theta hat is minus sine theta i hat plus cosine theta j hat. So again, theta, the angle you're at, determines the direction of theta hat. Now don't confuse these two equations, which show you the directions of the unit vectors with the equations in 1.9, which show you the r and theta value that you're at when you're at a certain location in the space. These equations 1.11 show you the direction of the unit vectors at a given theta. And then I suggest a couple of examples there where theta equals 0, you're on the positive x-axis, so r-hat equals i-hat. Because in that case, r-hat, directly away from the origin, is along the x-axis, which is the same as i-hat. Likewise, at that point theta hat is straight up. Why? Because if I sit at that same r and increase my theta, I am initially moving straight up off the axis. And I give another example there on the bottom of page 16 too. Okay, on the top of page 17 there's a little discussion of whether r hat and theta hat are quote real unquote vectors. If they're changing their direction as I move to different locations are these really vectors? Well, that depends on your definition of a vector. Certainly, these are perfectly valid vectors in the sense that they have a magnitude of 1 and they have a direction, so they meet that definition. But they're not free vectors in the sense that you can move them around to different locations in the space, as long as you don't change their direction and their magnitude, because in this case, they do change their direction as you move them around the space. So, whether you call them real vectors or not, they are useful to know. And we're gonna find that every coordinate system we use has its own set of unit vectors. The next part of this chapter gives you some examples of different coordinate systems. The first one is three-dimensional cylindrical coordinates. It turns out that after Cartesian, the most popular, and probably the most useful, three-dimensional coordinate systems are cylindrical and spherical. So we're going to do each of them. We'll start with cylindrical. The 3D cylindrical coordinates are given as R, phi, and Z. You can see them sketched out here on the bottom of page 17, figure 111. Notice what R is. It is not the distance from the origin. It is the distance to the point in the space from the z-axis. You see R up there near the top of that little slice of a cylinder? R goes from the z-axis to the point. So where is phi? Well, if you take that R line and project it down onto the XY plane, you'll see that there is an angle from the x-axis, or if you will from the xz plane, angle phi goes out to that projection. So phi is the angle measured around the z-axis starting with the x-axis at phi equals 0. So the y-axis is phi equals 90 degrees. And the z-coordinate is exactly the same as the z-coordinate in Cartesian coordinates. That is, it's just how far you are up the z-axis. These are fairly straightforward to understand. If you want to know the equations for getting back and forth from Cartesian to cylindrical, you can look on page 18. Equation 112, it says that R is simply the square root of x squared plus y squared. Phi is the arctan of y over x, and z is just z, because it's the same coordinate as Cartesian. If you want to go the other way, if you're given r, phi, and z, and you want x, y, and z, equation 113 will help you do that. But two more points before you get onto to the spherical version of this. One is the cylindrical unit vectors. Which direction do you suppose r hat, phi hat, and z hat point? Take a look back on the bottom of page 17, figure 111 again. And r hat, of course, shows you the direction of increasing r. So I drew the r hat on there, sticking out from the point, sort of pointing down and to the right a little bit. It's actually parallel to the xy plane, because this is in the direction of increasing r. Likewise, at that point, phi hat is in the direction shown. You see it's into the page a little bit, if you will, because that's the direction. If you hold r constant and z constant and let phi increase, you're sweeping that plane around. That point, the direction at that point, is in fact shown as phi hat. And z-hat, just what you'd expect. The direction of increasing z from that point is straight up. So those are the cylindrical unit vectors. And if you want to know in what direction they point, look at the top of page 19, equation 114. There it shows you r-hat in terms of phi and i-hat and j-hat. It shows you the phi-hat direction in terms of sine and cosine of phi. And it shows you the z-hat direction, which is, of course, the same as the z-hat direction in Cartesian. The other point I wanted to mention is, like XYZ coordinates, we've drawn these as right-hand coordinate systems. Right-hand coordinate systems mean that if you use the palm of your right hand to push the first coordinate into the second coordinate, then your right thumb shows you the direction of the third coordinate. So, for example, if I use my right palm with my hand open to push I-hat into J-hat, my thumb is pointing straight up, That's the k-hat direction. Likewise, if you look at the cylindrical coordinates, if I push r-hat, the first one, into phi-hat, the second one, I get z-hat, the third one. So this is a right-hand coordinate system. The last coordinate system we're going to look at is the 3D spherical system, which is shown on page 18 in figure 112 notice that once again we've got three numbers in this case it's going to be an R number I'm sorry that it's shown as rho in that figure some people use rho, some people use R I use R in the text and I meant to put R on the figure also theta which is the angle measured from the z-axis down to the point you see theta it goes from the z-axis down to the line going from the origin to the point in the meantime phi is once again from the x-axis around the z-axis to the projection of the point onto the xy plane. So the spherical three-dimensional system the three numbers are r, theta, phi and you should make sure to note that this r is different from the r in the cylindrical coordinate system. In the spherical coordinate system the r is from the origin to the point in space. And the transformation equations are straightforward. In equation 115 on page 19 you can see that R is simply the square root of x squared plus y squared plus z squared theta is the arc cosine of z over R and phi is the arctan of y over x likewise if you want to go the other way equation 116 tells you how to get x y and z if you know r, theta and phi so those are the transformation equations If you want to know which direction r-hat points, or theta-hat, or phi-hat, look at equation 117, also on page 19. There's r-hat, theta-hat, and phi-hat in terms of theta and phi, the coordinate values defining the point you're at. So, is it really worth having all these different coordinate systems rattling around in your head? I think you're going to find that in science and engineering, there are many problems for which it's much easier to solve the problem if you use a coordinate system that describes the situation rather more simply. Okay, section 1.6 is called basis vectors, and you should realize when you start this section that any vector in three-dimensional space can be made up of other vectors simply by scaling and adding them as we've done with vector components in i hat j hat k hat. So if you combine these vectors with the appropriate magnitudes, they form the basis of any vector you want. But of course you don't have to use the i-hat, j-hat, k-hat vectors, you can use other vectors. For example, what if you wanted to use vectors that were twice as long? Look at the bottom of page 20, figure 113, and there, instead of i-hat, we've got 2i-hat. Instead of j-hat, 2j-hat. Instead of k-hat, 2k-hat. If I've got another vector and I want to make it up of those, I simply figure out how to scale and combine those to get my new vector. As you might guess, Each of the components that I get when I do that is going to be half as big as the components I would have gotten had I used i-hat, j-hat, k-hat. Why? Because the component tells you how many steps to take in the i-hat direction and how many in the j-hat and how many in the k-hat. And if I'm using these vectors that are twice as long, I only need half as many steps. So the components will change depending on what set of basis vectors you use. But of course, I don't have to use these three mutually perpendicular vectors. I can pick three other vectors. Look at the B part of figure 113 on the bottom of page 20. There I've got these three vectors. We just call them E1, E2, and E3. Notice we don't have carrots. there's no inverted V over there symbols, because these are not necessarily one unit in length. In fact, they can be any length, and you can use these three vectors by scaling and combining them to make up any other vector in that space. But if you think about it a little bit, you might realize, well, I can't really use just any three vectors, can I? Because if I pick three vectors that all lie in the same plane, how could I ever reach a point outside that plane? In other words, how could I make up a vector that's pointing along the z-axis if I only have my basis vectors in the xy plane? The rules are slightly more complicated than any three vectors can be used as basis vectors. What the rules say is that any three vectors that are not coplanar, that is one of the vectors, has to not lie in the plane of the other two another requirement is that no two of the vectors can lie along the same line that is they can't be collinear but as long as the vectors are not collinear and they're not coplanar you can use any three vectors as your basis vectors and you can make components that will scale them in the appropriate way to give you the vector you're trying to construct now the text does make the point that one way to make sure that three vectors are not coplanar or collinear is to write a simple equation that makes sure that they are linearly independent. And what does that mean? Well, look on the middle of page 21 where equation 118 is written. It says, for three linearly independent vectors if I write the equation some number A times the first one plus a different number B times the second one plus a third number C times the third one for that to equal zero, if these are linearly independent vectors The only way that can be true is if A and B and C are all zero. In other words, the only way to get these vectors to add up so that I scale and add one to a scaled version of another to a scaled version of the third, the only way to come back to my starting point is if all of the scaling coefficients are zero. So I never leave the starting point. But if these vectors are linearly independent, then there's no way to scale them to come back to the starting point unless all the coefficients are zero. So, as long as you pick three linearly independent vectors, you've got basis vectors. Now you may say, yeah, but I want them to be unit vectors. Okay, no problem. As you can see in the middle of page 21, equation 119, to get E1 hat, the unit vector version of E1, simply divide E1 by its magnitude. Likewise for E2 and E3. You can always make your basis vectors into unit vectors if you'd like by dividing by their magnitudes. Now as you're going to find, many many problems in science and engineering can be worked using orthonormal basis vectors, ortho meaning they're all perpendicular to each other and normal meaning they all have magnitude of 1. So i hat j hat k hat for example will get you very far. But there are some other problems in which using other basis vectors might be useful to you. One last point in this chapter, and that is this. If you have two coordinate systems, basis vectors in one can actually be related to the basis vectors in the other using partial derivatives. For example, in spherical rectangular coordinates, to see how the basis vectors e sub r, e sub theta, and e sub phi can be expressed in terms of i hat, j hat, k hat, the Cartesian basis vectors, take a look at the equations on the top of page 22 there you see E sub R. The basis vector pointing in the direction of increasing R in the spherical system is equal to a coefficient in front of the i-hat, and a coefficient in front of the J-hat, and a coefficient in front of the k-hat. And the coefficients are the partial derivative of X with respect to R, that's in front of i-hat, the partial derivative of Y with respect to R in front of J-hat, and the partial derivative of Z with respect to R, that's in front of k-hat, Now if you haven't seen partial derivatives before, and you know what these symbols mean, don't worry, these are explained in the next chapter, and after you've read that and understood that, you're welcome to come back to this. But I wanted to mention it here, that it's an extremely important understanding that you can express the basis vectors. We just looked at e sub r, the same thing works for e sub theta and e sub phi. You can express the basis vectors in the spherical 3D coordinate system in terms of the Cartesian basis vectors using the partial derivatives of the Cartesian coordinates with respect to the spherical coordinates. Now you might be saying, how are these different than r hat, theta hat, and phi hat? Well, for one thing, if you look at their magnitudes by squaring them, I wrote them out in terms of sines and cosines there, if you look at their magnitudes, turns out their magnitudes are not all one. As a matter of fact, they don't even all have the same units. So these are not normalized unit vectors. These are basis vectors in the spherical system related to the basis vectors in the Cartesian coordinate system. There's a generalization of this on the bottom of page 22, equation 120, in which you see if instead of r theta phi, if we call the coordinate system that we're transforming into x1 prime, x2 prime, and x3 prime, simply the prime meaning it's the new coordinate system, the one we're transforming to, and the 1, 2, 3 just counting along the three coordinates, so equivalent to r theta phi. You can write these basis vectors and partial derivatives as shown in equation 120. So what this means is that the partial derivatives shown in equation 120 are the components of the original unprimed basis vectors expressed in the new primed coordinate system. So for this reason some authors define basis vectors in terms of partial derivatives. If this seems fuzzy, don't worry, there's going to be a lot more discussion of this kind of thing in the upcoming chapters if you decide to go on to the tensors part. Okay, that's it for chapter one. I strongly recommend that you work through the problems. Remember, complete interactive solutions are available to you on the book's website.